Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. With low housing supply, inconsistent planning laws and delays in broadband rollout, have the government failed to deliver on their promises of a brighter future for our rural communities? Fuel poverty, a growing concern this coming winter as our bills are set to soar. What will it mean for your pocket? And later, Facebook stalls plans to develop a version of Instagram aimed at children, but with many kids already online, with a tailored app help to keep them safe. Let us know what you think on Twitter using our hashtag TonightVMTV. The pandemic saw many people look to rural Ireland for a new way of life, but despite promises of increased investment, has the government missed the boat on regenerating these communities? Well, joining me in studio is Minister of State for Skills and Further Education, Niall Collins, Independent TD, Michael Fitzmaurice, and Political Editor of the Irish Examiner, Daniel McConnell. You're all very welcome along. Um, Daniel, I want to start with you. Big promises from government uh, at the start of this pandemic, heralding this rural regeneration. How is it all going so far? Well, undoubtedly the pandemic has had a, an impact on, on the government's plans. We know that next week we've got this national development plan, 136 billion uh, euros worth of, of, of funding over the next 10 years. Now we know housing is going to take a huge chunk of that, but a large part of it is going to go on kind of rebalancing, I suppose, the, the concentration of population and wealth in Dublin to the region, so that's going to, and there's going to be a big emphasis on roads, air, air connectivity, rail transport. Niall will probably be able to fill us in a bit more in relation to that, particularly in the M20 between Cork and Limerick. That's going to be one of the marquee um, kind of projects, we're told. But the whole idea is to try and redress that balance, to try and stop, stop the draw and kind of the, the desolation of, of rural villages all over the country and that draw to the eastern seaboard. But, you know, they're way behind on what they need to do. Like, you've had decades of underinvestment. You've had decades of neglect, essentially. And what you're seeing is kind of generations of people who would have run a farm, their, their kids not wanting to take over that farm. So farmland being left desolate. And, and I suppose what they're hoping is that the pandemic and this idea of remote working, that people can maybe, they can stop that and kind of maybe kind of look to mm. kind of settle and, and, and kind of establish roots in small villages and towns around the country. However, the national broadband system just isn't there to kind of cope. You know, we're now also dealing with energy issues. We're dealing with connectivity issues. We're with a water infrastructure that's not up to scratch. So you're dealing with a whole host of problems that are going to get in the way of what the government's plan is. It sounds very nice on paper, but in theory or in practice, it's very, very different. Yeah, sounds good on paper, Niall. Uh, what inroads in reality have been met on this one? Yeah, so look, there, there's, there's lots of challenges at rural Ireland, that's undoubted. And I think what Danny has set out there is very fair. Um, 
my party's in government now for a year. We've produced um, a number of plans, our rural future, which is a, a really detailed, significant plan. It has 155 actions across a whole host of areas aimed at uh, regenerating rural Ireland. Um, I, I think we've suffered from the fact that we didn't have a, ded a dedicated Department of State for rural affairs for a long number of years. That was something when we and Fianna Fáil were in opposition, we were critical of the then government in relation to every piece of legislation and every policy uh, should have been rural-proofed and wasn't being rural-proofed. So that was something that we were really, really conscious to, to stitch into the new yeah. government. Um, there's significant commitments in the programme for government in terms of, for example, uh, remote working in rural Ireland, uh, promoting uh, the whole concept which we've seen during the, the pandemic. Um, we've put significant monies into, for example, the Rural Regeneration Fund, which is a billion euros to develop uh, facilities to, for example, again, assist in remote working uh, right across rural Ireland. So there's lots of moving parts to rural Ireland. Our planning legislation, our Housing for All yeah, programme has, has... You're listing out all these huge promises, but it, it, it's, rural Ireland has been in decline for decades. Like You talk about not having a specific minister for rural affairs. Well, we have like, now. You have now. Yes, absolutely. But like you didn't 10 years ago. There wasn't one 20 yeah. years ago. There wasn't one when Fianna Fáil was uh, in government before. There was. In fact, there was. Eamon O'Keeve was. He was a very proactive minister okay. for rural affairs and Gael took the affairs. In terms, of, in terms of reversing that decline that we've been seeing... Yeah, and that's, that's exactly, what, that's exactly that what we're committed to. Um, we have a plan. Uh, we have a detailed plan, as I said, with 155 actions. Uh, we're only today, for example, government took uh, a very clear and uh, welcome decision to completely review and update our planning legislation. There's huge issues in relation to planning, um, apart altogether from the processes which are out there to update our, our planning legislation through our county and city development plans and our rural house guidelines. But in terms of the legislation, we've seen issues about objectors, uh, stalling projects, which are very important and integral to rural Ireland. For example, like the data centre in Athenry, other projects, major infrastructural projects, which are being delayed uh, because of, um, you know, the people's... Um, uh, is it fair to say abuse, but their use of um, mechanisms within the planning legislation to frustrate um, some projects which are impacting negatively on rural Ireland. So these are all the issues and we're aware huge. of the and we are working on them. The planning issues are huge, but you know, there's a case in point about the demand now for people living in rural Ireland. We've seen the recent house price uh, surveys showing huge jumps in, in, in house prices right across the country outside of the cities, Michael. What are you seeing in Roscommon itself? Well, in Roscommon and Galway and indeed the west of Ireland, um, it depends on your location. That's the first thing I have to say. Um, if you talk to the auctioneers um, that are selling those properties, um, the first thing, question that's asked when a property is for sale, have your broadband and how good is it? Uh, broadband is basically the new Lewis in Dublin, to be quite frank about it. Um, and after that then, if there is good broadband, people are prepared to actually pay more for houses. And it's not alone Dublin. I don't want this thing of everyone thinking everyone is coming from Dublin. There is pressure in the cities in Galway and Sligo and Limerick and Cork and in all the, all the different places. But there is, I think that, you know, when, the, when a lot of people left town in the rural areas, um, great communities got together, they kept um, the, basically the torch lit. They kept, they've put in infrastructure in places, mm. childcare, for example, in my own area. There's a, a crash that looks after kids from seven in the morning to seven in the evening. These were things that weren't there before. And indeed, um, you know, over the years, we have seen 
rural Ireland lifting a bit. I think we have to look at the glass half full rather than, than half empty. There are problems in planning, and I think the one worry we have in rural Ireland, and in fairness to Peter Burke, he has addressed it, but I'm a, I'd be fearful mm. of the Greens. There's this theory out there that one-off housing shouldn't be allowed. One-off housing, the roads basically were built years ago, so they're costing nothing more. The electricity was there, I think the last place was Black Valley in 1976 or something. The people are making their contributions. They're not looking for footpaths, they're not looking for lights. And, and the one great thing I do see happening in the last few years is the generations that left, a lot of them are coming back to start rearing their families in rural yeah. Ireland. And I think what a message that needs to be sent out as well is that there's no better place, in my opinion. Yes, there is difficulties, but the one big problem that we are facing at the moment, and we are getting hundreds of emails on the national broadband plan, that people were promised the national, they were basically promised and as, and as fiber to the home the end of this year or next year, and now there's emails being sent, our updates being hearing. given is 2025 and 2026. Huge, huge I think the government needs to tackle there. that. It's in disarray mm. at the moment, okay. and even the people that's working on it will tell you that the whole broadband situation at the moment is in disarray. And it is so critical um, to rural communities thriving. What's the engine of it at the moment? Uh, I want to bring in Kate Gleeson, who's joining us uh, via Skype tonight. Hi there, Kate. Um, you relocated from Dublin. You were due to buy an apartment there a year and a half ago, and you decided, no, we'll up sticks and we'll head to Cross Malina and County Mayo. Uh, how's that working out for you? It's great. Um, I'm I'm not actually from Mayo. It's my fiance, so it was totally new um, to me. And Cross Malina is a village of a thousand, so a big change from Dublin, but. The pros for me massively outweigh the cons in terms of community, in terms of just better access to kind of nature, walks. I can work remotely. I've also set up a side business. I've had more time. So I would be a big advocate of anyone in the city thinking to, to make the move, 100%. Now, Michael Fitzmaurice mentioned it there, but the issue of broadband is really critical, isn't it? Especially for your business. You have an online business. So how is that working out in Cross Malina in County Mayo, um, having moved from Dublin, where obviously it wouldn't have been an issue at all? I haven't had any issues whatsoever from an online broadband perspective. Um, in fact, I would say my internet is better here. And that's mainly because I was there was probably pressure within the apartment um, that I was living in. And from a business perspective, um, I've had more help here because I've had more space in terms of being able to set up an online business and more help from the community. Like in, in rural Ireland, you're going to get a, a kind of more close-knit community than a city, for example. So to really facilitate the business being a success, um, moving to the country has helped me. Um, have friends of yours decided that, having seen your setup, that they'd like to do something similar? And is it a bit tougher now, given those house pricing uh, increases that we've seen recently, and that general trend now to consider moving out of big cities um, to, to make a new life um, in the country? I have definitely noticed an increase the last year in terms of friends changing their, um, their path, let's say. Um, I also have friends that are still in bidding wars in Dublin 
and that isn't moving. So the friends that have made the decision to move back to rural Ireland, wherever that is, it's it has moved quicker. I've quite a few friends in a similar position as in first time buyers that have not yet bought yet. And it's a really stressful situation in Dublin. So although the infrastructure might not be ready to go in rural Ireland from even a supplies perspective, it's definitely better um, than Dublin for first time buyers. Do you see this as a permanent move for you, Kate, or can you see yourself in a few years' time, um, given that we are obviously in a pandemic now and a lot of people are changing up their careers, they're looking at, at, at different options, but do you see this as a permanent move for you? Yeah, it's definitely something that I've been thinking about a bit more um, as everything's opened up and the pros do outweigh the cons. I think the good thing about where we are living on this island is nothing is is far away. Everything is completely accessible. I'm three hours drive from Dublin. Might seem um, It might seem crazy, but it seems close for some reason if I wanted, really wanted to do something. Um, and... What I love here, even as things have opened up, is just the community, like the amount of stuff I've got invited to, even though I might not know certain people, like people really want to see you back. So it would be very hard to leave that and then let's say buy in Dublin and not know my neighbours. Um, there's something very positive as well about walking down the road and someone says hi to you. Um, so yeah, I I I am I'm here I'm here to say also my fiance is is from here and I don't think, I think it would take a lot to, to get him back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, Kate, thanks for that. Thanks for your insight on that tonight. Um, Danny, the big problem is like there, there clearly will be a growing demand, but the supply is an issue, isn't it? Right across the Western seaboard. In Without question, the supply, both in terms of housing, but also yeah, the infrastructure that goes around that, you know, childcare, you know, access to kind of the transport links, jobs, you know, obviously is going to be the, one of the major considerations. I mean, if you have a job that has needs you in Dublin, that, like it might work for Kate and, and her fiance, but it might not work for everybody. And particularly what we're hearing as well is a lot, some of the large companies, you know, having spoken about the hybrid model, mm. are now insisting on all their staff going back for the full week. You know, that, we're hearing that quite a, quite a lot this week anecdotally. But do you so, think there's a lot of lip service around this idea of remote working and a hybrid working model when in reality for the economy, they want to see football in the city centre? Well, I mean, the bottom line is that, you know, economies thrive on busy cities. They thrive on, you know, shops. You thrive on, on workers coming in, buying their lunch and getting their dinners. The pubs thrive on, you know, office workers coming in afterwards, get, getting their pints. They won't be able to survive if all those workers are, are <laughs> elsewhere. Isn't that true, Niall? Yeah, but, but, but the point that's been missed in, in our discussion here tonight is the Housing for All programme is providing uh, about 33,000 houses per annum for the next 10 years on average, right across that's Ireland. Thirty-three thousand per annum on average um, each year for the next ten years. That'll be right across rural Ireland. It'll be right across urban Ireland. Um, a it's significant a proportion, plan, though, isn't it? but a significant we're proportion. We're not going to see like all these problems that we're talking about: broadband and infrastructure and supply. They're not going to be met quickly. A significant proportion of those houses, one in five, will be rural houses, one-off rural houses. We had 25,000 one-off rural houses built between 2015 and 2020. And the legislation is now being updated. Okay. All our planning frameworks are being now let's, streamlined let's because they've, they've about, fallen out of sync. Let's talk about those guidelines because there is a lot of uncertainty around them. Um, so under the current rural housing guidelines, locals only rules apply there. Mm -hmm. um, now, there are fears among many 
who want to live in these houses and want to move to one-off houses and, and are planning for them and their families, that actually a tightening up of the rules is going to happen. And that's really yeah, the programme for government. It's not. It? No, it's not. And, and that's the spin that's out there, that, that this government is anti-one-off rural house. now, in fairness no, well, just, now, like well, there's a national planning framework well, which all I, I, I'm just going, does I, away with yeah, this one-off housing and I'm, just, and I'm just going to explain it to you, and, and Michael will notice. You have county and city development plans. That is the local planning policy. And you have national planning policy. They now have to be aligned by an updating of what's called the sustainable rural house guidelines. That process has commenced. What does that mean? That means there'll be a recognition of national policy and local policy will be aligned. So, so the one-off rural house issue will not fall out and fall between the stools. And there's a recognition in the housing for all um, policy, which um, Dara O'Brien launched recently, that one in five of the 33,000 houses on average will be a one-off rural house. We have to have a situation, and government recognises that we have to be able to allow people who qualify under who local will, rural... Who will qualify? Local rural, local rural people will qualify, is as, as is the case uh, in, in Roscommon, as is the yeah. case in Limerick. I, I live in a one-off rural house. I, I know the policy in Limerick, and I know the issues, and the issues yeah. now are being addressed by okay. government nationally in in parallel where our local authorities are updating their development plans. One thing, one, Michael, on that though, just around, like, there, is look, there fairness in those current rules? Um, you know, I, I think it was found in Europe, there were questions around the legality of that, saying it's for locals only. I think that was the Flemish, was it the Flemish declaration? declaration. Yeah. Um, first of all... What about that? Well, what about the fairness my understanding in terms of on the providing Flemish, housing My understanding on the Flemish declaration is that that's been set aside at the moment because they have to comply with European uh, RECJ right. judgments. Um, the biggest problem is, clear that in different counties, different councils have different interpretations. And it is causing problems where you might have a house in Dublin and you could be from where I'm from um, and a council could say, oh no, you had a house before this, where somebody uh, local could be in another county could be able to build. We need to make sure though, and this, I think we need to be clear on this as well. There is an awful lot of houses, probably 100 or 120,000 houses, in rural Ireland that will help in the whole housing situation that's vacant houses at the moment that need to be, that, that an incentive needs to be given. Second of all, I think this myth needs to be knocked that everyone is going to leave the city. First of all, we have a half million more people um, basically in this country than we had maybe 10 or 12 years ago. And on top of that, you need more housing. And if you have a situation where it is easier to work, that people, some people will get the option from working from home if you have the broadband. Yeah. And if people want to take that decision, they're entitled to do it. And thirdly, in the line of planning, in fairness, I spoke to Peter Burke this evening before I came on the programme, and he basically guaranteed me that the one-off housing will continue because it's, okay. it's a ferociously All important. All right, well, there is does. a lot of uncertainty yeah, about it, so it's great you. to get that clarification I agree with you, but in it. fairness, I have a text from this evening, okay. and he said one-off housing will be continuing, that his accountant, as Niall said, there for one in five. Okay, the Greens mightn't be happy about that. Well, whether they are or not, that's their tough look. Well, I mean, I mean it, they are. I mean, this this is an agenda. It's actually not just a green agenda, but it does pose difficulties within the coalition, doesn't it? In in no. achieving. No, no, it doesn't. Well, not it, at all. It, it doesn't. No, 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 it doesn't. Hang it doesn't. on a second. The Greens think that one-off housing is a bad idea. No, but, yeah, but it's what, not what matters? What matters clear in government is the program for government, and the program for government is very, very clear. 
Uh, it's not banning and prohibiting one-off no, rural but, housing. But, but there is the town centre first policy that Dara Bryan even mentioned yesterday as being something, yes, we are looking at. We yeah, have but, to look at our towns and but, villages but, but, and make sure that they but are But of thriving. course we do. We, we have to look, How do you do we, that we, with one-off housing we, we don't dotted do, around the countryside, we, we don't, not near those we don't towns do one, We don't do one to the exclusion of the other. We, we can do everything in parallel and at the same okay. time. Is that true, Danny? Well, I think the tensions are very real. I mean, if you listen to most Fine Gael backbenchers or Fianna Fáil backbenchers, they can't bear the Greens, and that's putting it mildly. They, they, just, they think they're anathema to, to, to kind, of, kind of realism and kind of pragma, pragmatic government. And the Greens will obviously argue that, that you know, the, the policies of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil over the last 100 years have ruined this country, and they are the saviours of, of the country going forward. And, you know, Niall is correct. There is a programme for government there. There will be this national development plan sure. released next week. So they are the fundamentals as to where, you know, the, the policy will lay. Fundamentally, though, I think these tensions that do exist within government are not going to go away any any time soon. Could it soon. be a breaking point for the Greens on this one? I mean, I they feel very strongly no. about this no. idea. Like, this government is going to last, and this government is going to last five oh. years. And sure. I think the, go think the Greens. So? Listen, we saw what happened when the Greens were last in government. They stomached an awful lot to stay in power. They'll do exactly the same. Here, this time can right. I say one thing? The, the Greens have their own idyllic uh, worlds that they, that, that they think about, but the realism is that in my opinion, rural housing is more sustainable. First of all, it's completely built by private people. In their, in the, they, they foot the total bill, which a government gets 60% back of. Second of all, the roads are there, electricity is there. With, mm -hmm. with a bit of luck, the broadband will there. And if those people are working from home, they're not actually, their footprint is actually less than somebody travelling in a Lewis or travelling in a dirt. So I think this myth that's out there about one-off housing needs to be knocked in the I head once and for all. It needs to be fairer though and it needs to be open to everyone then. No, well, Listen, it, can't, it can't be a free-for-all. That, that's the flip side of it. There, there has to be a workable criteria. And it is, it is fairly strict in pretty much every local authority area. I think Michael will agree with that. But, but there there's is a lot of uncertainty around no, no, it too. But, no, but no, but there is fairness, and the fairness protects uh, local people in local communities from being outbid uh, and uh, outpriced by, by people coming in from outside of the community who can outprice them. There, there's, that, there's that dimension to it also. Who can also regenerate rural Yeah, Ireland. but the one thing that there is... It's a balance. Those, there's a balance those, in those 120,000 houses that I talk about, if we can get them into the system, as well as alleviating problems in the larger towns or the larger cities, it will also rejuvenate a lot of the local communities. Okay. And in fairness, the one thing, and, and that, that lady from Cross Malina, she couldn't have spelled it out better, the local community, the involvement, the welcome, and I think a message needs to be sent out People are welcome to rural Ireland. They need to understand the agricultural side of it, that a tractor might be going in the evening or the night. We don't want people, say, you know, constantly narking or whatever. But if you get involved in the community, it is the greatest place ever you'll be. OK, that was a good sell. No narks allowed. Danny, um, I just want to come to you on another big story uh, tonight. That's that independent external review um, being set up in the wake of the Defence Forces scandal. Of course, mm. the group of women involved in campaigning on that met with Minister Coveney. Um, Different to two weeks ago and his initial statement that they weren't happy about it at all. No, and but clearly Simon Coveney has moved significantly in those two weeks. He's met with them and he certainly has listened to what they've had to say. Um, this is a very difficult one, I think, for the government to try and get right because, again, it's one of these ones that if you move on this and, and clearly he's issued that apology to those women, but, you know, if you start getting into this position of moving on this one, are there other cases that start coming out of the woodwork and you have to deal with those? But I think from... I think from the women involved, they... But they've been ignored and these no, issues have been ignored. Absolutely, for but I was just going to make the point that they, they came out of that meeting with Simon Coveney, say, and they seemed very 
I won't say happy, but certainly seemed content with, with the kind of language that he seemed to use, the apology that they got from him. And that certainly has to be welcome given what they've been through. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. My thanks to Michael Fitzmaurice and Danny McConnell. Niall Collins will be staying with us. And after the break, journalist and author Valerie Cox on the impact of rising fuel costs on the elderly this winter. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. Now, the winter fuel allowance kicks in this week, but with the cost of our bill set to soar, will it be enough to cover those who need it most? Well, Minister of State Niall Collins is still with us. And I'm also joined by journalist and author Valerie Cox and CEO and founder of Bonkers.ie, David Kerr. David, I want to start with you. You know, there's been much made around these rising bills as we head into winter. But in fact, the energy suppliers have been hiking up their bills since the start of this year, haven't they? They have. In fact, uh, many of the suppliers have increased their prices four times so far this year, and that's unprecedented. And the cost of electricity and the cost of gas for our homes this winter is the highest that it's ever been for gas and electricity customers. It's really unprecedented. So what can households expect this winter? Well, there's only bad news, sadly, in terms of the standard price for gas and for electricity. The standard price for both gas and electricity combined will increase by about five to six hundred euro per household per year for the average household and that's just versus last year it's not far and it's that much money unfortunately for the average household but there is some good news the good news is that there are good discounts to be had still so if you haven't changed supplier you can mitigate all of that um, increase and you can save almost 600 euros a year simply by changing your tariff. Despite the issues with supply, among all the suppliers, So you can go obviously. back to last year's tariffs, standard tariffs, by switching to this year's best discount tariffs. Okay, that's good to know. But for yeah. people who already changed up, I suppose, heading into the winter, they, they won't well, benefit as much. Those ones will be in a discount percentage against those standard rates, so they will actually be doing reasonably okay because the prices that have increased are the standard prices, not the discounts that you may have signed up to. Okay, uh, but it, I mean, it's bumpy generally across the, depending on what fuel plan you're on in the summer, like you're not going to see the effects of it, which is probably why we haven't been talking about the hikes to date, but it's really going to kick in, isn't it? Yeah, we, during we, the, winter. We, it, the bills are quite literally in the post. So our first winter bill we will notice is today, for example, it's a bit cooler than it was even a week ago. And so people will start to turn on the heating now. The clocks are about to change, which means we're going to have the lights on earlier and later. 
and that means that we're going to consume more electricity, burn more gas to heat our homes, and the bills that we will receive for that activity we won't get until November time. And so people can take action today to change to a higher discount, and that will help offset those increased prices. Specifically, Valerie, older people are most at risk here, aren't they? What stories are you hearing already? Um, it's very tough for older people, Claire, particularly older people who might be living alone and they're having to choose between spending money on heating a house, which a lot of them would consider unnecessary if you're balancing that against food. Also, so many older people, their homes have not been retrofitted. I mean, they're dealing with maybe old-fashioned um, fireplaces, uh, you know, the briquettes, the coal and all of this. Now, if you think about the cost of it, I mean, even if we get a fiver of an increase in the old age pension, it is a government joke. A bale of briquettes these days costs between six and seven euro. A basic bag of coal, say uh, 20k, whatever it is, is about 12.50. So this is an absolute joke. And I want to tell you something, because over the years, life has not improved for older people in terms of the basics. And we're talking about housing, food and heating. 60 years ago, I used to go around with my mother who used to do voluntary work looking after some older people. And I remember one Christmas Eve going to a flat on Camden Street and we went up these dark stairs and the door of the room was a bit ajar. It was just a room and we went in and we couldn't see anybody. And then we noticed there was a pile of old clothes on the bed. And I went over and there was this old lady who was 84 years old and it was Christmas Eve, she'd no heat. She had crawled in under a pile of, cl of clothes to try and stay warm. Now, obviously we were bringing her things. That was 60 years ago when I was a child and things have change. not improved. No, I mean, there'd be some improvements obviously, but we still have old people who are going to bed early. And I mean, I know specific cases. They are wearing their overcoats to bed to stay warm. Yeah. Now, like we, we're hearing all the stories, we're hearing them already and we haven't even headed into those really cold months yet. The fuel allowance arguably is not going to go anyway towards helping people when the rise, the inflationary rise and the, the cost of these fuels has gone up so much. Yeah, look, there's, there's fair comments be, being made by, uh, by David and Valerie. Do you agree with that? We, like, the, the government can't control fuel prices of, of energy fuel coming into the country. We know that we're, we're price takers and it does fluctuate. Um, what government can do, obviously, is try and um, support vulnerable people. We do that, as you know, through the, through the fuel allowance. There's 370,000 households across Ireland um, receive assistance with the, with the fuel allowance. Um, there is also assistance through the household benefits packages, you know. Um, there's significant millions of monies go into that. The government has committed um, quite extensively in the programme for government to retrofitting and to um, assisting and funding sustainable um, solutions in terms of energy efficiency. That's not cheap to do and that's of not going to help not. elderly people this winter, is it? Um, we, we, we have a range of social services which help um, elderly people, uh, like, like what Valerie has pointed out there. Um, that, um, you know, if there are cases like that are obviously shouldn't happen and, and they should be brought to the attention of people with social services. So what, what, I, would say to you, what I would say to you is this, um, government is cognizant of all of that. Michael McGrath is considering all of that as as is government in terms of the rolling the roll into the budget over the next okay. two weeks will, in terms of how will, you would resource mm, will uh, a the potential measures, increase do you think, though Niall, will the measures close the gap uh, probably won't close it entirely 
but it will go some way towards closing it. There will be a discussion and a decision from government in relation to uh, old age pension, in relation to fuel allowance. Uh, money is ring-fenced in terms of carbon taxes to, to buffering uh, people who are vulnerable uh, to, to the impacts of, of these price fluctuations. Valerie, you've been shaking your head at all of Yeah, this. I mean, I just think this is ridiculous because fuel poverty is not a priority for this government. I mean, it has the same importance as something like the odd sock at the end of the laundry basket. Well, I don't agree with you, Valerie. No, I know you don't agree with me, but yeah. you said yeah. there that you can't control prices. Yeah, we can't because we're international price takers. So what about the 30 different electricity price hikes this year? Did you approve them? They aren't yeah. approvable. The, the price was deregulated in 2011. Yeah. Yeah, so you so, can't do anything sorry, about it. Got, there's, there's an independent mechanism which approves price regulation, as you know. Um, it, yeah. it's, ju it's just been do explained. I want to ask you, there's something that you could do. Someone has tweeted in to say, to respond to rising fuel prices, the government should lower the amount of VAT they take. Yeah, again... That, that's, that's something that, the government that, can do, that, Well, right? it's, a, it's a consideration, but, but you see... Well, you, you know, could you, it be a consideration this year of all years when we're seeing price rises? We're talking what five yeah, to six hundred like, euro per I, I, household. I can't, I, can't make up, I can't make up the budget on the hoof here tonight, but um, you know we could have another conversation here another night in relation to the funding of all our public services, there and is we, that. we need to raise but taxes. To, to the state this, has to raise taxes. But what I, what I would say idea. to you is, for, for vulnerable people, we have the fuel allowance, okay. we have the household benefits package. Uh, if you look at your um, your community welfare supports through your community welfare officers, your social welfare for protection uh, uh, support payments, there's exceptional needs payments, there, there's, there's other mechanisms by which people who are very, very vulnerable, like your lady under, under, the, under the pile of coats in Camden Street. That was 60 years ago. Well, well you, you're, you're trying to paint the impression that it's widespread and it's happening everywhere. I am not it's painting not an impression. It is widespread. People cope in different ways. For example, yeah. well, you I might cut back on food for heat or heat for food or whatever. And, you know, if you look at the government's own climate action plan, you're talking about retrofitting, you're talking about, you know, doing this in older homes. You set a target to retrofit half a million homes and install 400,000 heat pumps over 10 years. Now, we have Eamon Ryan then coming in and saying, look, you know, hopefully this is a short-term problem. It's not a short-term problem. So why are you not following your own government action plan and starting to put all of this in now instead of waiting over the next 10 years? Because this would sorry, solve the problem. Sorry, uh, retrofitted houses don't just fall off the back of a lorry. It takes a bit of lead-in time, it takes a bit of planning. We have to train up, we have to get workers to do it. There's many facets to doing this. It's, it's not, has it it's not of course it started. The government and, is in being now well, a, a, little, a little over, a, little over a year. Let's be a little bit reasonable yeah. now and put the whole discussion into context. I want to context. ask, just on the subject of all those eco-friendly initiatives, because mm -hmm. they are to be welcomed. Everyone wants to sure. live in warmer homes and not pay as much for their electricity. But are they accessible to older people? Are the schemes in place to make yes. them easily yes, accessible? Yes, they are. Absolutely. They're, they're accessible to, to all citizens. Yeah, but in you terms know. of getting someone to do it, the cost of it, um, you know, are there going to be extra tax breaks on, on that, providing that insulation and, and the retrofit? I'll give you I'll give you an example. Sustainable Energy Ireland, which is a government agency, is funded to the tune this year of £270 million to, to uh, grant aid to supply and, and the fitting of energy efficiency. That will go and do yes. uh, the retrofit yeah. for you yes. and will fill in the SEAI forms and do the claim for you as well. So there are, there are companies that are dedicated mm. to doing that. Yeah. But there, I is think bit, there is big demand for it and also um, the prices have gone up, of course, because materials... There's yeah, no exactly. getting away from the fact that the prices have yeah. gone up in all elements of the sector, construction especially. But 
energy prices in particular have gone up 40 to 50 percent on the basic cost of the thing that you burn, the, the gas. And yeah. so the commodities. Yeah, and, and much has been made about the fuel allowance and helping those most vulnerable. The squeeze middle as well are really going to feel the pinch. Well, they're not they? going to yeah. be eligible for either of those two allowances, the, the uh, free electricity allowance or the, the, the other elements under the free uh, allowances. So the squeeze middle is going to get squeezed mm. further. And to the point about VAT, the VAT rate for domestic electricity and gas energy prices in Ireland is 13.5%. In GB, it's 5% specifically for domestic energy, specifically to reduce the burden of taxation on the gas and electricity market. So that is yeah. a potential factor that could be looked yeah. at. Yeah. Not carbon tax, but we do pay about a third of our bill to taxes and taxes and levies to the government. Right, OK. Well, we've also got another tweet in. I'm a single parent working full time just over the threshold for any entitlements. I have to pay a mortgage, gas, electricity, food and everything else with no additional support. What would you say to that? Well, yeah, look, I mean, I, I don't want to dismiss anybody uh, in relation to a tweet, but, you know, w w as with any scheme, any support scheme, any payment uh, from the state, there are there are income limits and there are cutoff points mm. and you will always um, deal with people and come across cases like that where you're a euro or 10 euros over a limit. But there's nothing stopping that person going to their community welfare officer and making a case for an exceptional needs payment if, if they have uh, such an exceptional Even need which they, needs to be met. They're not reaching the threshold for entitlements. Yes, they could go to their community welfare officer and make an application for what's called an exceptional needs payment. Okay. Uh, it's a supplementary social welfare payment. Uh, make a case for it and uh, uh, it'll, be, it'll be validated, they'll have an engagement with their community welfare officer and uh, a lot of cases like that that I deal with through okay. my constituency office, they're funded. On the big picture though, um, in terms of incentives, like are, are there incentives in other countries? So the Thonish actually suggested maximum price orders, essentially a cap on energy bills. We know that's happened in the UK, but what's been the fallout there, David? The fallout is job losses, the fallout is energy companies going out of business, the fallout is millions of people without an electricity or gas supplier paying deemed default rates. So the fallout is significant, even though the intent is good. The actual reality of it is that in uh, situations like we're in right now, where the wholesale price of the commodity has gone up more than 200%, the cap that's placed on is actually going to be uh, very damaging. Because um, we are hearing a lot that this is going to be a good budget for the elderly. That seems to be the flag flying around it. Um, what yeah. would you say, well, Valerie? Like are you going, hopeful at all? Not at all. I mean, a fiver is a joke. Um, it's not even going to buy you a bale of briquettes, if indeed it is a fiver. But uh, the various aid agencies, the various organisations that look after older people are saying we need at least three times that. So we need about €15. Euro. But you know something? I think that lady who just phoned in there was absolutely right because I was looking at some of the statistics and what the government is actually facing into now is a far more serious crisis than they think. We, in February, by February, we had 240,000 households in arrears on electricity. And the total arrears between gas and electricity was 90 million. So there's a lot of people in big trouble at the moment. All right, listen, we'll have to leave it there. My thanks to Minister of State Niall Collins, Valerie Cox and David Kerr. And coming up after the break, Instagram for kids, a safer option or asking for trouble? Welcome back. Now, Facebook has announced it will pause plans to develop an Instagram app designed specifically for children aged 10 to 12 years old amid widespread criticism and the leaking of damning internal documents now being dubbed 
as the Facebook files. Well, joining me via Skype is tech editor for the Irish Independent, Adrian Weckler, and parenting journalist for the Irish Times, Jen Hogan, joins me in studio. Um, I want to come to you first, Adrian. The Facebook files, what are they and what have they revealed? Well, essentially, it's research that was conducted by Facebook and particularly into Instagram for the purpose of this conversation, which revealed that Facebook and Instagram knew and knows that up to a third, particularly of young girls, um, feel worse about their own uh, body shape, mental health and other issues uh, when they use Instagram. So it's it's quite a damning set of research and it's been quite controversial because Facebook didn't publish it. This was internal research that they intended to keep themselves while at the same time uh, CEO Mark Zuckerberg was telling Congress and other bodies that actually Facebook and Instagram can be good for younger people. And of course this has affected that rollout of this special Instagram app for kids, hasn't it? Yes, it has. So Facebook was dead set on releasing a new version of Instagram for kids between the ages of 10 and 12. Now, its rationale wasn't altogether a bad one. It points out that kids of that age and younger use Instagram anyway. We know that actually in Ireland because we just had a huge body of research done, which shows that 85% of kids between the ages of 8 and 12 in Ireland are on social messaging or social media service, uh, services, mm. usually with the permission of their parents. But because you're not allowed onto those apps until the age of 13, according to Facebook's rules, it means you get served all of the ads. It means you are contactable by, uh, by older people in a way that maybe you shouldn't be. So this was Facebook trying to say, well, look, we're gonna set up a, uh, a service specifically for those kids, but the release of this uh, damning research, um, as revealed by the Wall Street Journal, and mm. um, has put the kibosh on that for the time being. Okay, um, Jen, like one of the points, and I think it was in one of the leaked slides, mm. said, uh, we make body image worse for one in three teenagers. Um, talking about the effect Instagram has on adolescent girls. Uh, this idea will come as a little surprise to parents, though, won't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I think most of us are aware of the impact of, of social media on our teenagers and on our young people. I mean, even grown women would get in contact with me and say they're, if they're on social media, they're looking at people's houses or they're looking at people dressed up going out and they feel inadequate. So if, if grown adults can feel like that, it's no surprise, really, that it's having a similar effect on our teens who are at a vulnerable stage of life and development and they're looking at heavily edited pictures or pictures taken in certain lights. Or, or even pictures taken, you know, where, where people have perhaps had fillers and different things, and they're, they're aspiring to unach unachievable. Yeah, because as you say, we're seeing those Ideals, images. Yeah. We're grown up and we're finding them difficult yeah. at times. Mm -hmm. um, but, so the very point, like Instagram came out and said, well, obviously Facebook saying, we now want to work with parents and policyholders in developing this app. There is that argument that Adrian mentioned that, that what they say they're doing is, our current Instagram app is unsuitable for under 13s, yet they're accessing it and they're accessing mm. elements of it that are just not suitable. So this is a way of putting safeguards in place. Isn't yeah. that a good thing? Mm. I mean, they have a point, yes. And as Adrian pointed out, and certainly from chatting to parents, there are a lot of children who are on social media apps below the age that they should be on. And that is with their parents' permission. Sometimes parents will overrule, will, you know, facilitate that by changing birth dates to allow different, to allow them to join up with apps. But most parents will say it's happening within the room that they're in or they're very strict about the privacy settings and that they'll only allow them to make friends with people that they know and they're, they're connected up to their own accounts. And so there are all these these um, precautions being taken. 
But really, you, you would have to wonder, I mean, anybody who uses social media knows how addictive it is by nature. You know, you spend hours aimlessly scrolling. To bring it down, in theory, just to make it more suitable for eight to 10 year olds, is it really a case that it's making it more suitable, or 10 to 12 year olds, apologies, um, making it more suitable for, for 10 to 12 year olds, or is it just bringing people back into that market? Is that what it's doing? As a parent, I would have my suspicions about that, you know, appealing to them at a younger age, whereas most of us as parents are trying to get our younger children off social media. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, essentially, isn't this a marketing tool, Adrian, by introducing 10 year olds saying, you can definitely, there's no question about it, we welcome you to. Instagram kids, that you have them there and you can still market them despite um, the parenting controls that they say may be in place. It absolutely is. There's no question about that and nobody should beat around the bush about that. Facebook and Instagram know that TikTok has just hit 1 billion users around the world. It knows that Snapchat has been a formidable rival particularly for Instagram among kids. Kids don't really use Facebook. They tend to gravitate towards Instagram in that company's um, in that company's stable. So there is absolutely no doubt that Facebook is trying to get and make an impression with those kids. We know, for example, from today, the latest uh, uh, research uh, uh, leaked that the that they're actually targeting uh, kids around that age to try and just get the you know the first impression in there about Instagram and Facebook. What about the likes, though, of a model such as YouTube and YouTube Kids? Now, many parents would be very comfortable with their children watching YouTube Kids. They feel those parental controls are in place. It's something that works and they feel it, it is certainly a safer place than the grown-up version. Isn't that a possibility Absolutely. with Instagram, too? The argument we made that it, it, it can benefit uh, younger people. Well, you could make that point. YouTube's a little bit closer to television in that it's somewhat passive. You give a child a tablet with YouTube on it and they're going to watch their favorite series or they'll watch videos. When you get to the likes of Instagram, it becomes a lot more engaging and immersive. And some of the themes that came up in the notorious now research that was leaked to the Wall Street Journal, it was all around the stuff that, as Jen was pointing out, um, we ourselves as older human beings, mm. as adults, uh, fall prey to as well. It's the pressure to conform to social stereotypes, the need for validation, for likes and follows, you know, the pressure to, to uh, around body shapes. Mm. Um, there's a particular issue as well, a very particular issue around the over-sexualization of girls um, on social media platforms that doesn't exist quite in the same way on YouTube. So for that reason, probably more care needs to be exercised. Jen, do you believe there's a responsibility too on parents on this one? If a parent is letting their 10-year-old on Instagram, surely there's an onus there to kind of watch what they're doing and see how they're, what they're looking at and how they're, you know, behaving around it. I think there is. And I think, you know, the, the kind of excuse of, although I don't know anything about social media apps or I'm not familiar with that, it won't wash anymore. We can't protect our children if we don't know what they're accessing. However, it is a little bit more difficult as they get a little bit older, even, even at 12 when they're out of the house, when they're gone to school, that they have a phone with them, they can access, access these things if they have data or if they run off a hotspot on somebody else's phone. So I think there really needs to be serious conversations had about responsible usage and talking, you know, obviously parents being up to date with what danger 
dangers their children can encounter by using these apps and, and, and even the likes of um, mental health damage, you know, and, and the, the whole idea around perceptions as well as, as predators being able to contact them. But yeah, we do as parents have to familiarise ourselves with the apps and we have to keep up to speed because they're ever changing because we're quite happy in the Facebook, Instagram area, but kids have moved on and it's TikTok, Snapchat and whatever else the latest new one is that I probably don't even know about. I'm just wondering on that point, are you better off as a parent saying, okay, use these apps and you know I'll, I'll keep an eye on what you're doing rather than banning them wholesale? I suppose that depends on, you, on the age of a child. I mean, if you've got a, a young teen, the idea of banning an app altogether, I'm not sure that's very productive. I'm not sure you're going to keep them away from it. As I said, once they go to school, they're going to have access um, through friends' phones and through friends' devices. So I would be a big believer in responsible usage and having open and engaged conversations instead because it's part of the world we live in now and it's kind of something we're going to have to get our heads around. Okay, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Adrian Wettler via Skype and Jen Hogan who joined me in studio. Our programme is available as a podcast. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. From all the late team here, good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.